Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and enlightening conversations around movement practice and how you can become the most heroic version of yourself through pursuing movement that's relevant to your nature. This is a podcast that's going to feature some of the top movers in the world, some of the most amazing movement thinkers, and people from fields that are related to movement as far afield as evolutionary theory, strength and conditioning, and everything in between. So if you're interested in movement, please stick around. And if you like our work and want to support it, please consider supporting us on Patreon because this podcast is completely listener supported. We don't want to take any advertising. We don't want to interrupt your experience of watching the show. So what really helps us get the best thinkers on, have the time to put these together, have the best quality for you guys as far as audio and video is your support. So please consider supporting us and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Evolve Move Play podcast. This week, my guests are Renee Skivington and Tom Coppola from the Origins Parkour Facility in Vancouver, BC, and the Sport Parkour League. So Tom and Renee are old friends of mine, guys I love to train with, guys I love to talk to, uh, and guys who have really been at the forefront of creating a competitive format for, um, for parkour. So if you're interested in parkour as a sport and how we prepare for parkour as a sport for the history of how it's developed, it's gonna be a really interesting conversation. These are brilliant guys, really amazing movers and really thoughtful teachers. And the program that they've created at Origins and through Spark Parkour is really one of the most amazing legacies in the parkour industry. So I was really excited to have them on and I'm really excited to share this conversation with you guys. Definitely be having them on again. And uh, yeah, without further ado, enjoy Tom and Renee. Renee, Tom, been meaning to have you guys on for a really long time, uh, so it's good to have you guys. Welcome on the on the Evolve Move Play podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so you guys own a, a parkour gym up in uh, in in Vancouver, BC, and you know we we've been we go back. Jesus, when did we meet, Renee? Uh, probably like oh four, oh five. Five, maybe oh five, yeah. It was like the first international parkour jam, right? Canada and the U.S. coming together. I think, I think it was a SFU jam, so it's Simon Fraser University. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, Simon. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, Tyson Cheka, and Dane. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it must have been two thousand six, two thousand seven. So yeah, been a while. Um, and yeah, we built our gym down here in Seattle, and then you guys built your gym and. There's a lot of uh, back and forth for a few years there, but then it seems like it's kind of died down and everyone's, you know, our, our scenes died down in that way and you guys have been built up, but uh, you guys have really taken the lead in something we were all kind of doing, um, which is building out some sort of competition structure for parkour. Um, so that was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you guys about, but uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's start there. Um, how <laughs> COVID's a weird day, a situation, right? But you guys have been building sport parkour for a long time. And I was curious to, to kind of just dig into um, what that project, you know, has meant to you guys, where it's going, how it's developed. So why, why is, do you think that you guys kind of ended up being the team that devoted themselves to actually creating a uh, competitive format for parkour? Um, more so than say anybody else in the world. That's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think a lot of people have tried and, um, and I guess it kind of, for me, it kind of, it actually goes back to you. Um, 
it was in 2010, I competed in one of your, uh, it wasn't called a parkour competition at the time. It was, that's that's <laughs> it was a riff on Ninja Warrior and, uh, there was like a sled pull at the beginning of the of the course, and then after that, there was like some sort of rope swing, and then there were some parkour elements too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was my first exposure to parkour competition, and uh, yeah, that was in the first parkour visions space where, and and to me, that was like the first parkour gym that I had been exposed to and seen and and uh, and thought of as like an actual parkour gym. Yeah. The other ones existed like Primal Fitness, Monkey Ball, but at the time they weren't really, didn't really have much parkour elements to it. And that first small parkour visions gym was really cool. It was really inspiring to me personally. And I think just participating in the competitive nature of that event kind of sparked something in me that took me from that anti-competitive spirit that I was initially involved with in the early days of my parkour experience and uh and made me it kind of opened my eyes to like actually this is like a pretty cool experience that a lot of people if they had the experience they would probably uh switch sides so to speak <laughs> were you ever on the forums with the little like banner pro parkour anti against competition is that I, you? I ever had the banner but i definitely like was part of that team <laughs> I, I was like one of the three guys who was organizing that. It was like me, Erwin LaCour from MoveNet, and Duncan Germain. That was like the main guys behind it. And then, of course, I went on to, 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 to switch sides. Uh, what about you, Renny? Were you ever anti-competition or were you always into it? I had really terrible uh, experiences my first two times <laughs> competing. Uh, I get the shakes. So, yeah, like even like maybe like right now a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I get the I get the shakes, which is like amplified. Um, if there's like any anxiety, which I had a ton of, because um, it felt like a performance, like beyond a performance though, like a performance in front of regular people. You're they they don't know what they're seeing. You know, I could do like the most simple thing, and it's like impressive, but it was a performance in front of peers, and that's the thing about competition and parkour is it's it's the proving ground. So you know you can be reviewed as so good and then you're put in front of the challenges with your peers in front of other people and it's like go get you know x amount of attempts or whatever and uh i think that really got to me uh first time that i had to do a comp and then we did another one and i think i pulled that was out the one at uh freeway park so both in seattle again like it's you know i uh I feel like when, if there's ever a history book written on uh, competition and parkour, uh, the Seattle team or yourself should be uh, viewed as like some of the, the pioneers, um, at least because there, I, I don't think there was any, there, there was, you've done an article on this before where there was uh, a European competition or, or something early on and then that fizzled and it was basically Seattle was where parkour competitions were happening at that time. So yeah, the second one at Freeway Park, I pull out halfway because again, I, I've, I'm going through the course and I'm realizing my legs are shaking on me and it's not, um, it's not like a fatigue thing. It's, it's literally like a nerve thing that I hadn't experienced before. 
but then I moved on and we did, I think it was the Tempest games was the first time I had a positive experience doing a competition. N none of these experiences like ruined it for me because we were trying to do our own things. But in terms of participating, it was something that I, I had to take some time to get over. Um, but I think that's normal with any kind of competition environment. Like if you did martial arts or something, you go from that's sparring to actually competing in a match and you can have that same sort of experience. Yeah. Uh, the the one uh, the first competition at PKV uh, that Tom was talking about, I actually had a panic attack. Um, yeah, so I was I was in the middle of like I just cut a massive amount of weight. I cut like twenty pounds in like three months or something like that. And then I was organizing the competition and trying to compete in the competition. So I was like demonstrating the course and then turning around and trying to run in it. And like during the demonstration of the course, I just fell off in a bunch of weird places that I normally wouldn't. And people, everyone was trying to talk to me because I was the, the organizer. So I was like, everyone was like in my face. And then all of a sudden I just couldn't get any words out. <laughs> so yeah, been there. Um, yeah. So Tempest, so, so we did our first competition, I guess that was 2010 and then Tempest was 2013. I remember going to Tempest. I was like, I think that was right before I left Parkour Visions because I went down there with Nate Weston um so that was a while ago so you see that was like three years that you'd been kind of uh floating around with competitions but you guys had already held the competition i think by that point i remember you guys did one in a park uh it was pretty cool i remember justin sweeney uh went up there and and uh, did pretty well if i remember correctly yeah what what year did you come here uh so i moved here in 2010 um, and then that first one, I want to, that was PKBC five. So mm -hmm. that would have been like 2011, I think it was my first okay. PKBC. Yeah. So yeah, 2011 would have been the first, um, competition that we organized together. Uh, and then it's just been consistent since then. Like we don't, we haven't missed a year, um, as far as doing like the bigger ones until 2020. Uh, until 20 <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, COVID. Yeah. Uh, I missed that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, even for even for like the smaller ones, like we'll do, we'll test ideas and stuff here before doing, before traveling or doing any pro events. But at this time, I think we can confidently say that that no one has uh, organized as many competitions as we have. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, unless you count like Red Bull. No, I'm, I'm talking about, but I'm talking about qualifiers. I'm talking about like, oh, we've, yeah, we've, yeah. we've, we've traveled the, the, the North Americans yes. <laughs> and done many a competition. <laughs> so I have a sense that like that you guys took that on also because there was something that you were looking for, something that was attractive to you about uh, the idea of bringing uh, competition into parkour. Right. Um, and so I'm curious, like, well, yeah, maybe speak to that for a second. I'll have a follow-up question on that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I have a comment on that. So, so at the time, the biggest, like, the biggest parkour uh, competition event or events that were happening were style-based free running, right? So I mean, yeah. at the time, they weren't called style; they were called free running or competition. You know, Barclay Card, Red Bullard Motion. Um, and I remember specifically having a conversation with Renee about, you know, parkour competition. And 
I, I don't remember if it was you or me said this, but it, it was, you know, we were, say, we were saying um, like the idea of parkour, like the original concept of parkour is too cool to not like showcase in a comp competitive format to, to bring it to, you know, not just to showcase it, but to like allow athletes to have the opportunity to participate in it. So, so we really wanted to develop out the side of like the skill and the speed elements of parkour competition, because it's just too cool not to like so much emphasis was being placed on like, you know, people doing like tricks and, and things that were aesthetic and it's judged and it's kind of almost gymnastic like and in, in its appearance uh, and the way it's presented. But, but we were like, well, like, like the idea that parkour is a method of like reach or escape is like never touched on in competition or, you know, not in, in large scale competition. And so, um, and so we saw something, something was essentially missing and we wanted to really like develop that out so that uh, it, it presented parkour in a way that's like, no, like this, this is what parkour is. So, um, and now, you know, parkour has like a very expansive definition that includes um, all different types of styles and movements. Um, but, but ultimately it kind of came down to the core idea of we wanted we wanted parkour, like traditional parkour to be showcased a little bit more. It's, it's interesting because I, I had the same, that was really one of my, my takes on it when I first started bringing the competition as well was like, we're, we're trying to fight against competition in order to preserve parkour, but parkour was already sort of disappearing and being diluted into uh, urban acrobatics in a sense, if you were really interested in the reach or escape aspect of it. Um, I remember it was Teg Matthews Palmer who said like, there's already competition in, in parkour, right? Like everyone's competing to have the best YouTube video, right? And what was winning in the best YouTube videos and sort of has continued to win with the strange exception of store, right? Store is the one exception over there, but otherwise it's almost always the, the, the acrobatic based videos that get the most attention. And so that original idea of the discipline was, was sort of being, uh, was, was, was disappearing. So that was part of, part of my motivation for, for getting involved in, in bringing competitions forward. But you guys have always kept, you've always had the style, the skill, and did you always have skill as well? Or is it always style and speed and the skill was added later? No, first, the first time we did NAPC, it had skill. Yes. But before that, uh, that that was the move. That was like the that was the first time we put it into. Or wait a second, no, there was so, it was the skill qualifier. It's like yeah. always the. So going back to the the first one we did outside at the park in 2011, that one had a skill qualifier. So it had a bunch of challenges, and you had to get a score based on the challenges, and that qualified you into the speed competition. Um, so it was like really accessible. It was kind of like a jam format. And at the end of that, then it was like, if you scored enough points, you got it to be able to run the speed event. So that was our first foray into skill competition. And then the second one was in the gym. And that was what, it was the competition that eventually became NAPC. 
it was PKBC six and Justin came up and did really well on that one as well. And, uh, and that one had a skill competition. I think it was separate. And no, was, that, that one was still, or cause it had like Kong precision as far as you can. We, it yeah. was like a, it was like a, a, like a powerlifting meet. It's like, see how far you can go. But yeah. well, we, we, we were combining, we were combining the skill and speed still. Yeah, right. So it was, it was like, you got like a total score. Yeah. I'm trying to remember because we did that too. And I'm trying to remember if we got the idea from you. I think Tyson was also really interested in, in, um, in like a rock climbing format, like as a way of, of, of bringing competition in. And so I remember in 2012, when we did the, uh, the, um, the invitational, we had a series of challenges um, that were like, so there was a giant, uh, you know, um, uh, standing cat between two, like those big pillars at Gasworks. And then there was the stride series on top of the, you know, the, the, um, the two fences, the two fences over the sand, right? So remember that. And then also, I guess, so that was 2012, but then also there was Tempest Games in 2013. Tempest had that huge, like full day of skill competition, very sort of like parkour decathlon-esque. And, uh, and so that, that was kind of the format, but you guys have moved in a different direction. You've moved away from sort of like just really um, simple benchmark skills towards more, more like the rock climbing uh, style where it's about a specific challenge that happens to be within a family. So you're not gonna be able to have say a, a direct cross comparison from one year to another where, okay, you know, this year Mish did a Kong precision six inches farther than the previous year and the, the setup's exactly the same. So tell me a little bit about why you guys have gone to the, that new format and um, kind of what, what the skill section is. So that, that was after the, after the competition that we had uh, just mentioned. So the pre NAPC one, but I think it even, you even saw a bit of that in the first NAPC where we had just options where it was like, here's one Kong vault to uh, precision. Here's a slightly further one or whatever. And as we were kind of starting to get away from the idea of numbers, uh, so the competition before that was all about numbers. It was, we had a bunch of dinos that you could do that were just progressively higher. We had standing precision that got progressively further and we had a Kong precision that got progressively further. And those were like the big three. It's still a lot of fun and it's fun to test those things, but we found with that, uh, we weren't necessarily going to get the best parkour athlete. We were maybe just going to get the best athlete. Um, or the most powerful person at the at the competition, so that's the main reason why we moved away from it, and it's continued to involve or evolve quite a bit with how we combine things. Because for a while we were still on the singular skill, but we were just trying to make it more technical. So having more variety with the structures in place, you know, they, like because what what is parkour without thin walls, rails? Uh, things that are hard to grip, all, all those all those different uh, varieties of, of structures to use that, again, make it harder for someone who's just a powerful athlete to do super well in parkour. And then, of course, there's also heights and consequences and things like that, uh, which make us different than something like Ninja Warrior that's uh, over water, you know. So that's the, that's the direction we moved into is is trying to make our skill competition feel more like the skill comp, the 
competitions, you would have at jams, the, the stuff you would do with your, with your buddies at jams, uh, where you're all trying to hit the same challenge on some weird wall feature and, you know, do, uh, be as, be, have some sort of creativity along with, uh, the power and everything you're trying to put into it. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to get away from the numbers game that, that I felt, I feel like that really sterilized it in a way, um, that was just not in an interesting direction. We, we, um, we wanted to really, um, put forward the idea that like, you can't divorce the complexity from the from parkour and if you do it ends up turning into this just like who can jump the furthest rather than like the like i don't know the the last the last um uh big event that we hosted uh we were talking about like the finals for skill like that should be an instagram clip like it should be so something that people are so stoked about that it mm -hmm. goes viral on instagram like the way it looks and you don't get that with just like Ooh, you jumped really far between two kickers, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I feel like you can't really divorce the, like, it, it, if you do try to take out the complexity from, uh, from the parkour skill challenges, then you end up with, you end up with the Tempest games, which it was a cool experience participating in it, but it's not the coolest format to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it ends up it's basically like parkour decathlon or parkour track and field right yeah yeah mind you we, we have yet to see you know just to kind of <laughs> i think we always do this too we're always like critical of our own format but uh we have yet to see if that would type of format would catch on mm. you know because it, it is more uh inclusive <laughs> uh sure. so someone could watch that you could watch people doing kongs for distance into a sand pit and you know lashay for distance over a bunch of mats and things like that and think you know if you're a, a fit person like oh i could get into something like that you know uh, yeah i mean well I'm, now i'm thinking about it, it's like you know you look at like strongman competitions and um you know a, a lot of it's just like how much more can you lift it, or in mm -hmm. this weird in this weird way you know um and, but but those uh, th those weird ways like the the bullet like they're they're still um, categorized they're still they yeah. still have the same you know they're they're still lifting the big boulders it's it doesn't <laughs> and they don't yeah. change like, weird shaped boulders they're these big round things that they all feel the same to carry they're just different weights mm. yeah so you're looking at like how do we how do we capture you know sort of like fundamental athletic attributes versus dexterity. Right. Um, I've got the book right next to me. Have you guys read Bernstein, Dexterity and its Development? No, but I'm familiar with a little bit of Bernstein's work. Yeah. Not. Dude. But that, that's just what it makes me think of, right? Like when you, when you divorce all those other technical aspects of it, that's what you're taking out. You're taking out the dexterity demand, right? And that's really what we're interested in as parkour athletes is becoming more dexterous in general, not simply becoming more powerful within in, in, within any specific technique right because when we go out in the environment um the you know the power within a specific technique is only useful to our ability to adapt it to the actual circumstances and that's what i i mean i think a lot of us end up getting a kick out of the adapting it to the circumstances right yeah yeah i agree um that that that's what's always been most exciting to me about parkour is the finding finding the environment 
and letting environment environment tell me what I'm going to be doing um, rather than like, I've got to, I'm going to go out and, and do this one specific skill. Maybe, you know, sometimes that's, you know, that's good for practice and that's good for developing skills. But what excites me about parkour is the environment telling me what to do. Uh, that's where like the creative element is. That's where like the, um, uh, there's something about like the, the treasure hunting of, uh, that's uh, associated with parkour that's like like you find like this really weird back alley spot that nobody else wants to touch but i really want to touch it because it does it does something for me mentally yeah uh, and yeah that, i think that's what's cool what what ends up being cool about parkour is what you end up finding out of um what most people would see as just a wheelchair access ramp there is an element of like playing well playing to your strengths, but looking for certain challenges. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, like if you're good at dinos <laughs> or dive rolls, <laughs> your, your eye might wander to those things and you might walk by the, um, a spot that's telling you to do other things. <laughs> uh, that's so if a, yeah. if a spot is telling you to do a roof gap, you might walk by it <laughs> and, uh, instead do the the dyno at the other spot that's telling you to do the dyno <laughs> uh or vice or you know the other way around i didn't, say I had, I didn't have selective vision <laughs> yeah. everybody does everybody does uh, yeah. there's a sort of a different line of question but since we bumped into it i think it's an interesting line of question you said tom you know as as renee is referring to you're well known for uh for your sort of application of bouldering skills uh, buildering skills to parkour and for diving through small gaps, right? Every time that I find a really weird dive roll, I, uh, I send it to you, right? I tag you. Um, so I think that's, I think that's important, right? Like there's this, there's this, I see like in the kind of history of physical culture, we went to this place that was very reductionist and it was all about, you know, like, uh, just do aerobics or just you just do bodybuilding and when you do bodybuilding you just do these specific and then you know, just do the specific muscles right and everyone was kind of specialized into their sports and you know people were like you need to specialize in football or baseball at an earlier and earlier age and then it feels like to me um since maybe the beginning of the aughts there's been this uh this this rebound back towards the idea of being a generalist right CrossFit came in and they were like talking about general elite fitness and what is real fitness. And then, you know, then there's MoveNet, my stuff and Edo stuff and, um, and parkour in a way is like, has a, I think something of a generalist ethic too. But one thing I've discovered in my own journey is like, if you try too much to be a generalist, it's kind of homogenizing and boring. Like there's a reason that we all have different personalities and different abilities because because then we kind of can play off of each other's strength. Like there's lots of dive rolls I wouldn't have done if I didn't watch your videos. Um, and uh, you know, uh, lots of people have tagged me because they're like, oh my God, I'm in a tree. Um, so Ryan Ford said to me once, he's like, you, you can't just be good at parkour anymore. Like nobody cares if you're good at parkour. You have to be good at parkour and then do something specific, right? Cause in, 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 in that way, that's like your gift to the community. It's like, I see this, this thing that nobody else would see and I'll bring it to you guys so you can see it too. So I'm just curious, like, um, 
what your perspective is on that and like how did you end up being the dive holes guy i mean i i think i i have a pretty strong belief that like you should play to your strengths um doesn't necessarily mean you should completely ignore your weaknesses but you should you know develop things that you find that you might be good at um and that's because uh if you're if you happen to be good at it you might actually like doing it because you get you know you get reward for doing well at something right um and so uh i mean i guess going back to like how i became the dive holes guy it it started as a, see, i used to i used to train with uh, daniel arroyo um who many people will not know who he is nowadays but at at the time he was you know a very much up-and-coming star very fast learner was able to pick up skills faster than anybody i had ever met and uh and i remember we we were doing like we were gonna do a line together and uh and he's like oh you, you you know you do this going over and then i'm gonna dive roll through this and i was like whoa dive roll through it and so he ended up like hitting his back really hard on it and it just like messed it up. And then I ended up doing it like right after. And I was like, Oh, I like, I did it, but Arroyo couldn't what? Like what? So it was kind of this eye opening experience where it was like, Oh, like maybe this is something that I could, I could be good at because the guy that's good at everything messed up. And, you know, maybe that was a fluke and maybe he, he normally would be able to do it fine. And it was just, but whatever it was, it kind of set something, it kind of like triggered something in my head. And now, or not now, but at the time I sort of opened up my vision to like seeing more opportunities in that direction. Um, and so I just kind of, anytime I saw it, I was like, oh, like, that looks like a nice challenge. So I'm going to, I'm going to attempt that one. And through that process, I ended up learning a bunch of techniques for allowing me to do increasingly complex ones and then by doing increasingly complex dive holes challenges and it just ended up catching on in a in in a in a sense on social media people would you know recognize that i was the guy doing you know threading diving movements and so it kind of just snowballed from there and because of the because people were saying like oh that's good or oh tom can you fit through this one you know it just ended up again like triggering triggering me to continue looking for more of those so it definitely gave me that selective vision of uh, what challenges I was aiming to do Um, uh, so I guess that's kind of like how I kind of got into it and um, yeah and and I don't know I just I, I I do I do think that you should you should play on your strengths because like that's where you have the most opportunity to affect change in the world I guess in a way um uh, and the same goes for climbing. Like, um, you know, I, I rarely ever do any actual bouldering, um, but because I, it doesn't inspire me, it doesn't, I'm not super excited to go to a bouldering gym or whatever. Um, yeah. But rather, I, I, I just developed the dynamic climbing side of parkour. And, and I, for, for whatever reason, I happened to be good at it fairly early on. And I started just kind of progressing and progressing. And then developed into the athlete I am today where I have two very strange specialties that don't seem to really fit together at all, but <laughs> that's who I am. <laughs> so, yeah. So how much of your training time do you spend on like pursuing your specialty versus trying to make sure that you, you can keep playing the game, right? Like play the game. If you, if you go to a jam 
and like, hey, there's not a great climbing spot or there's a great dive rolling spot. Or you're like, shit, man, I've, I've lost. Uh, <laughs> I'm not as good at jumping as these other guys. This isn't as interesting right now. Or, uh, or, or do you find you're able to kind of balance that? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I feel like I spend. Uh, it kind of I I go through these like phases in my training of like obsession with certain movements. So there was a period of time where I was obsessed with rail comps. Okay. And so and anywhere I went, I was only looking for rail comps. And you know, if I didn't find one or if I came across another challenge I was interested in, I would do that. But um, but I just I find that I go through kind of like obsessions with kind of movements. And there was a period where I was very obsessed with dive rolls, and then that kind of went away for a while, but I would still do it if it was, if I found something that was exciting to me. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I like, I like doing different types of jumps and things like that as well. I like doing Kongs. It's a skill that I enjoy doing. Um, I'm not particularly excited about flips, but every now and then I'll get the flip bug and I'll do, I'll just kind of delve into that for a while. Um, so, I, I, I don't, I don't tend to think of my training as like, I must maintain all these skills all at the same time at different level levels, but it's more just like, I'm, I'm a little bit more chaotic in my approach to parkour. I like to, uh, I like to do what I see and I'm excited about. So. So Randy, what's your kind of philosophy around this, this idea of generalization versus specialization? sounds like to me, like you might be, over there saying, hey, Tom, maybe you should try something that's not a, a dive roll every once in a while. Well, I mean, to, to be fair, like he, uh, Tom practices a variety of things. Like I've never, I, I, th I, think, that's, I think that's actually been more of a, um, I guess I'll say recent, not super recent, but more recent development. Cause I do remember like the rail Kong phases and stuff like that, where I think, I think we all did that. I think we went through a phase in just practicing parkour and it could have been where we were like age-wise could have been what was on video but I feel like there was a phase where we would go out for sessions and no one would do a lot we would just like walk by get to a spot and be like do this jump here okay yeah there's nothing really like let's let's explore some more let's go find somewhere else because you know the next spot is surely going to have what I want to do at it you know and um I definitely felt that for a couple of years where um we we just yeah we'd have some really unproductive in terms of like movement wise sessions and more more recently like I can't think of a session where you've just sat around like mm. you know it's, even if there aren't any <laughs> dinos or dive bulls um, so I think that's just been been a, been a development in general is, is you, you you still keep up the, <laughs> the yeah. generalness while well yes like exploiting what you're <laughs> well, what you're good at. I think what's changed for me is uh, the types of challenges I want to do are the ones that give me a little bit of fear initially that I know I can break through. Mm. And so whether that's a dive hole or a jump at height or even just like balancing in a weird way that just kind of is a little bit scary. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I'm more attracted to. So I'm more like, and you know, unless it's completely outside of my range of ability, like I'm not going to look for the spot to do the double cork because mm -hmm. I can't do double corks, but yeah. So double cork roof gaps into a uh, <laughs> step through. 
double cork again with Verky. I wanted to make a point about uh, like generalism, uh, generalization and like specialization though. Uh, and actually, Rafe, so how many of your viewers would you say pay attention to UFC? I don't know. Probably not that many. You don't think so? Okay. I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, how many know who? How many know who uh, Khabib, Khabib Nurmagomedov is? I have no idea. Really, don't. Like, I pay attention to it. I care, right? But, uh, but like, even the people I train with, right? Like, I'm, at, I'm, at, I'll ask like Justin, hey, do you pay? You know, like that. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the, the Figueroa fight with, uh, with, uh, was it Moreno? That fight was insane, right? So I was out training with with Justin. I was like, Justin and Brian Prince, and I was like, hey, you guys, you guys pay attention to MMA. They're like, nah, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't want to steer the conversation too much away from parkour, but I feel like it's just a good example. If you look at the growth of uh, MMA as a sport is yeah. about five years ago, everyone, or like the GSP area, uh, the, the George St. Pierre era, everyone was sold on that you had to be this well-rounded fighter, like just, just perfectly well-rounded in everything. You couldn't be a jiu-jitsu specialist. You couldn't be a striking specialist. You had to do everything. And George St. Pierre was the guy who was just, demolishing everybody because he was that guy he he could strike very well and then he also had this uh, wrestling prowess that he could just decide where the uh, fight took place and uh, whether it was uh, he had a great jab too just all these tools that basically allowed him to dictate exactly what he wanted to do in a fight and that was the model for a long time and now you have a guy like Khabib who is very much a grappling specialist so much to the point that people know exactly what he's going to do going into a match and he still does it so you you have this sort of divide now and, and he still mind you the fight still starts on the feet so he still has to be good at striking to an extent like to to fend off you know elite competitors but the fact that he's able to do exactly what he wants to do every time with a singular skill set is, is crazy um and in some, so like bringing it back to parkour, yeah, you need to be, you need to be able to have, to be able to do everything. Um, like if you want it to be the best at a, a speed, in a speed competition or a skill competition, if we're just talking about competition or even, even a notable person in videos, but if you, uh, if you're just kind of like well-rounded, you're probably not going to be super great at one of those things. Like I think the best people that we see in skill are like, I'll use Tim Champion as example. He has pretty clear specialties. He's a, he's a phenomenal jumper and um, lache artist, we'll call it, lache swinger. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about swinger, I don't think that'll catch <laughs> but, I, but I don't think, I don't think you would uh, note him as like he, and he can do very well at like the dinos and the catbacks and things like that. And he certainly built it, but I think his foundation is, and his specialty is definitely in those two things. And he can do he can do swings. He can do lashes that no one else can do. No, no one else is touching like the distance and the, the, the scale of some of the lashes he does. Um, maybe not the same for jumps, but definitely for, for lashes. I'm sure we can think of like other examples too, but that's, that's probably going to be yet to be seen. I think that's what's going to happen with uh, parkour, um, particularly like skill competition athletes is they'll have that one strong specialty and then everything else will be like, enough to make it to like the elite level but but they'll have one thing where it's just like oh he's gonna flash this challenge because that's his thing yeah or her thing. yeah 
I would almost say that Daryl Stingley is more specialized in the catbacks and the uh, and the swings than I would say Tim is. Like I was just watching the um, the NAPC highlights that you guys put out, and I believe Tim's flashed the the um, the Kong pre Kong challenge like earlier than anybody else. So that's like outside of the skill set that you're talking about. So I think Tim's also just like maybe a better athlete than anybody else. Right, like pure athletically power, you know, what he can do with it. Uh, you know, you, if you, if you ha had him go play wide out in the NFL, he's going to be a good, a good physical body for that type of thing, right? Um, whereas, you know, not everybody who's good at parkour has that type of base athleticism. But I would also, I, I wanted to go back to the Khabib versus GSP thing, because I actually think they're really similar and they're not very, it's not a very different thing because, because, Khabib comes from a wrestling background and GSP came from a karate background and he started as a well-rounded fighter who, you know, he started as a striker and then became well-rounded. And then at the end of his career, he just was a guy who used a reactive jab to uh, reactive takedowns off of his jab to take people down and dominate them in the exact same way that GSP does, uh, that, that Khabib does. Not, not using exactly the same techniques. He didn't have some of the high level, um, uh, he didn't have some of the, the technical skills that Khabib does. And Khabib came up as a, as, a, as a wrestler, but had to become competent as a striker. I mean, Khabib stunned and knocked down Conor McGregor, who's maybe the greatest striker in that division um, in the that history. Was, that, was, that, was, that was via threat of a takedown, though. So Part, sure, sure. But I mean, you don't, you don't do that if you're not competent in some way in striking, mm -hmm. right? Like he... He, he understands the striking game in MMA and what is allowed to him because of the threat of his takedowns. You know, Ben Askren is a better example of, a, of like a full specialist, like genuinely not very competent at striking. And he got exposed as soon as he came to, the, uh, to MMA. So I think that like what, what I would say is happening in MMA is something like you see the level of general ability go up and then some guys who are relatively generalists start to dominate and people then the specialists hit that level of general ability and then take it to a specialty right so you see like a, i still can't think of like any current champions who are known as just being like a generalist um uh, maybe like a steve miocic but like, like israel, israel adesanya striker <laughs> who can i mean jan's a new champion but i don't think he's you know I mean, he, he's got power, but I don't think he's a specialist striker in the same way that Adesanya is. And Kamaru Usman's a pretty damn well-rounded fighter, right? Like, obviously, he comes from a... But, like, uh, wrestling pedigree, like, specialist, right? Yeah, but, I mean, there was always, like, everyone always had a pedigree, mm -hmm. right? Well, fact, that's not the case, though, because, like, there were... I'm, just following the sport and listening <laughs> to conversations, like, years ago was always... Um, they were, especially when I got into it, um, just, just watching it, it was the talk about like, you got to go in the, you got to, um, Rogan would talk about this too, where it's like, oh, these new guys coming up, they're people that their first introduction is an MMA gym. So like yeah. you're going into an MMA gym and learning MMA from the start instead of a specialty. Whereas mm -hmm. like, and, and so maybe it was never true. Maybe what we're talking about right now is it's never been <laughs> true. And like, that was just the idea, but, but that, that was very much the idea is that, no, you need to train MMA. You can't have like a specialty. Whereas it's, it just kind of keeps being proven that the guys that are the best have a specialty and then 
they get well-rounded <laughs> off of that specialty. But the specialties are also changing. Like Khabib is an MMA grappler, right? Like yeah. he's not he's not a wrestler. He doesn't even come from wrestling. He comes from samba, right? Like he he has a set of skills that are that are optimized to dominate the grappling within an MMA context, rather than someone like Ben Askren, who came from a really elite wrestling background, who you know still has that as kind of a primary identity. So I, I don't know. We, we shouldn't get too deep into this. You and I should have this conversation off air because I'm not sure how interesting this is to the audience. I'm but uh, if, you're, if your viewers aren't into MMA at all. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what, one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys going back to the idea of like sport parkour and what you guys have been doing with that is how do you think it's impacted the development of the discipline in general? Like how has uh, sport parkour impacted what parkour is and how the community? That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, what comes to mind for you first? <laughs> um, resetting on catbacks. <laughs> uh, explain what that is. <laughs> no idea what you just said. Uh, uh, so we use the term catback to refer to like starting in a, in a hanging position on a wall to jump away, jump back away from the wall. Uh, it kind of has lots of different terms in the parkour world. A lot of people refer to it as just 180 or another version um and so a lot of times when people will jump into a cat they'll like bounce or reset their feet and then go for go for the cat back so there's like uh, additional kind of time in between the cat leap and the actual cat back and one thing in skill competition that we've uh that we've uh you know enforced is that uh, your cat back must be dynamic. It must be, um, it must be plyometric. So as soon as you land, you should be already entering into your cat back as opposed to allowing any, for any resetting. And so there's skill challenges in our events that we will, we won't count if people take an extra bounce or reset their feet. Um, and so that's actually influenced the greater culture to like they'll now in their parkour videos maybe take an extra few attempts to make sure that their cat back is actually reactive as opposed to uh, adding those extra bounces and that's just one example but there's a there's a couple of others that i feel like our our event has kind of shifted people's mindsets in uh in the way that they actually apply their practice. But actually the other big one for me is um, uh, uh, in style. A lot of people uh, are now understanding of what it means to actually create a line um, as opposed to a bunch of separate movements that are put together in a, in a way that doesn't really fit. Um, and so I think we feel like we really pushed the like we really like enforce like this is what a line must be in order for it to count. Otherwise, it's going to be judged poorly. Like you need to connect it in a line. It needs to make sense logically. Um, and so that's kind of like those are like those are a couple in which I feel like we have influenced the greater culture. Yeah, and I, I remember this one for a lot. You would get yeah probably because you just said the word style, and I was like, oh, there's one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. it, it's like the whole parkour free running thing. Yeah we're very much on like it's all parkour and so we just categorize as it's going to be freestyle parkour or style for short a lot of people use the word style <laughs> including me 
um, our, we'll say, competitors in, in competition formats um, have just opted to like start calling what, were, what was their free running competitions now just a style, like parkour style. I'm sorry, I was just laughing because I remember when, uh, when, uh, when Urban Free Flow announced freestyle parkour and how well that went over with the community. But uh, <laughs> did they actually back in the day? Because I, I, I don't like, I don't think yeah. it was an original idea from us or anything. Like, if anything, I think our head was on, on skiing and uh, making the comparison there. But if, you know, if someone else said it first, it's not. No, yeah, it was. Do you remember this, Tom? I, I do. I vaguely, I, cause I wasn't really around at the time, but I do remember the hidden, the hidden. It must've been like 2006, 2007, probably 2006. Um, you know, there's huge arguments, tons of like flame wars on the forums about free running versus parkour and, uh, you know, urban free flow were like the guys pushing this sort of like, um, not pure parkour, I guess. Um, and they were getting a lot of pushback on that. And they're like, we've solved it. We've solved the debate. We've solved the debate. Like they hyped it, they hyped it up for a long time. And then, uh, and then they were like, okay, we're announcing it. It's like, we're just going to call it freestyle parkour. And everyone was like, oh my God, groan, puke. Nobody, like, it's not a solution. Um, so that was, that was their reaction originally, but it seems to be changing with the idea that we have a, uh, we have a, you know, there, there's a, yeah, I don't hear people saying that, but it's only in regard to, to competition. That that could change, but well, but people refer to themselves as like style athletes mm -hmm. now. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, kind of bringing it I mean, to this weird parkour versus free running debate. I like. I've always found it kind of stupid to call it two different sports, mm -hmm. um, because it's really a part of the same culture. Um, and so, like, there's you know everyone to some degree practices both, right? Is a lot of people will say that, right? So, so like, you know, you see an Instagram bio, it's like parkour and free running athlete. And I just feel like that's so silly. Like, like you can practice two, two, two different sports in the span of a minute. And, uh, and you know, you know <laughs> I'm, I'm very much like a traditional parkour kind of person. Like I, like I like really kind of have this, you know, weird relationship with flips where I just don't really particularly care for them. But I, I've, you know, I practiced them to some degree just to have like a base competency, but not really super into them in terms of my own personal practice. And so this whole parkour free running thing is so weird that like you would call it something different when you're just doing something slightly different. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's funny too, is that like I, I just interviewed Sebastian Foucault, um, who coined the term free running, and uh, and like he has a whole philosophy around like what his his particular school, you know, lineage or whatever you want to call it of the the parkour universe is about, and it has nothing really to do with whether you do flips in your lines or not. Um, but nobody like nobody listened to Seb when he was like, well, actually, like. You know, I use that word, you know, like originally it was going to be like just the English word for parkour, right? Because they were afraid that parkour wouldn't translate, which turned out not to be true. Um, but then later it was like, well, okay, if it's going to be a different thing, hey, I, I started that word. And I was like, nope, no, nobody's listening. So uh, <laughs> his, his evolved move play. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, now he calls it Foucault method. It's really fascinating stuff. I think you guys will get get a lot out of that, but yeah, uh, I, I love what Seb's up to, but it has been a funny, a funny distinction. I, I don't even like, there's this idea that parkour is what the art of getting from A to B as fast and efficiently as possible. Like that's the, the Wikipedia definition. Like, I, I was like, I don't know how that ever got on Wikipedia. Like, I don't know who edited that and how it <laughs> got approved. It wasn't something that anybody of the founders said directly. Um, and like, I don't remember any of us who are like super involved in the community ever being like, yeah, we all agree that that's the, the definition. Um, so it's a funny thing, but like, I, I tend to think about parkour as like, there's a, there's the strict sense and then there's the, the like broad sense. Like the broad sense is people mucking about with obstacles with just their bodies, right? Like you're playing around on complex structures with just your body. That's parkour. Anything that involves that is, is parkour as far as I'm concerned. But then there's like the whole David's thing and Sebastian's thing and 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 the um and the yamakaze and they all like I don't think they ever had it fully defined or knew what the hell they were doing as far as like Cl having clarity it's funny because we had that whole like we all thought we were we were fighting for the founders by not having competition <laughs> and then david get in, gets involved with fig right yeah so and sebastian loves uh loves uh, world chase tag right he's all about that he's like you know we need to be playing the game if it's about reach or escape you got to be chasing somebody or being chased so I, I wanted to ask you guys about that. I was, um, did you guys uh, check in on the, um, the the World Chase tag being on NBC? That's a pretty exciting development for our community. I, I haven't seen any of it. I um, I don't have uh, I, I don't have access to. to I also but I, I want to. <laughs> I want to watch it. I, I would be interested in watching it. Um, yeah, we, we kind of. I don't think that tag is the format through which we want parkour competition to go and that's why i think we have our mission which is what we're kind of promoting but i don't think i don't see it as a bad thing i think if people are introduced to parkour through tag um that's pretty cool i think it's going to be weird when tag gyms start popping up um <laughs> I, it will likely happen you know if you know if world chase tag continues to grow at this level um so I think that might be a little bit weird. And then people, maybe if people start training just for tag and like neglecting developing parkour skills um, or like forget it, like, you know, you know, people practice whatever they want, you know, they can call whatever they want and they can practice whatever they want, but um, tag is fun. Like I can, I can imagine it's like a really cool like experience as a, as somebody to be able to compete in that. So I don't know, that, those are my preliminary thoughts. How about you? I'm, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I get it. Like, I get the whole, like, what Tom's saying, like, it's fun and everything. I'm, I get super bored watching it. Really? Like, yeah. Like, even if I know the guys, it's just like, it's not what I know them for and not what I'm down to really watch them for. It's like, <clears throat> you take someone who's good at a certain sport or activity and then you kind of put them in, a format that they don't prepare for at all and it's like go <laughs> let's see what happens um the, the other thing for me too is like 
uh, okay, so we met, you know, years ago, <laughs> back at the, you know, early days of parkour, and like, we, we had a jam at SFU, and we're hitting cat leaps and vaults and things like that. Do you remember when we played tag? Because I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> I've been trying to bring tag into parkour. Yes, I, I know you have for, um, for like a competition <laughs> standpoint, which again, it's like, I don't, I can't, I can't say I hate it. Um, I just, I'm, I'm not excited about it. And I, and I definitely dread the day where someone, so I tell someone I do parkour and I, I dread the day where I tell someone I do parkour and like, Oh, have you done tag? <laughs> I, I just, I will, like, like I, I, will my, I will lose my freaking mind if, if that becomes like a regular question similar to like the office question that's what it would freaking be to me is like if someone was like have you seen the office episode of parkour it's like oh you must have been on tag or or you know someone asking if uh if i've done ninja warrior and then the other thing would be if uh people start asking to build a what do they call it the quad or something quad. yeah they're, they're doing a very good job branding that by the way but um if someone asks me to like build a freaking tag setup in the gym which is going to take up like half the space it's like no screw that so those, th those are, those are my, my feelings <laughs> is just as someone that really likes parkour, it feels like it would, it, it's becoming a, a bit of a takeover seeping in because we're, we're talking about competition influencing the culture and uh, we do our best to create a format that reflects what we're already seeing happen on the streets and then, you know, just make it kind of tweak it to make it, okay, how do we make this? points how do we you know do what we can to um again reflect what's going on there but make it a competition format whereas tag is just like like we're gonna put in for, for a tag course we're gonna put in some structures that parkour athletes would do well on but they're not you know you're not doing parkour <laughs> yeah i i First of all, I want to say I did play tag like 12 years ago at a parkour competition, right? a parkour jam, <laughs> yeah. and it was pretty fun. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it was like freeze tag, and you had to go in between people's legs to unfreeze them. And I, I was doing dive holes through, so it was there. It was we go. The origins. Uh, it was a fun experience, but but I, I think the the there is something that's there that's pretty cool is that like parkour athletes have gotten to the point in our training where you could be you could put them into a scenario in which they have to reach or escape and they can perform um, like i would be really in, inter, interested to see somebody who's completely non-parkour athlete but very good i don't know maybe a track and field athlete um and see how they perform like i i participated in a game show called ultimate tag which is not world chase tag it was <laughs> a very strange experience we'll say um but it was very it was very fun i enjoyed it and there were there was a bunch of non-parkour athletes who were brought in to be uh, other contestants on the show and uh and for the most part they all did very poorly um because they had to participate on a parkour field now that's their their stages or their uh, courses were a little bit were quite a bit different from uh, from world chase tags so like with world chase tag you could in theory just run around the perimeter um, as a as a you know if you're super fast you could probably get away from some of these parkour athletes and I'm just really curious to see like how that would go um, mm -hmm. because right now as it stands world chase tag is 100% parkour athletes um, from what I can tell so 
I, I don't know. I, I, I do like the idea. I like, I'm, I'm not like, I, I'm not super for world chase tag, but I'm not super against them either. I think there's probably positive and negative elements that will come out of this that will, um, will definitely impact parkour culture. Um, I, I see it as like a, uh, a, a unique opportunity for parkour to be seen by more people. Um, so I think that's one positive. Um, you know, the negative is people, you know, referencing it to you on the street because they see you do a jump. So yeah, the, the, I, 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 I wouldn't be uh, so, I'll, I'll say I'm opposed. I'll say, I'll say I'm opposed <laughs> okay. to, to what, what is current, what I currently see developing and particularly with world chase tag i will see i will say i am i am opposed to it 100 percent um however if they change how they're approaching it i wouldn't be opposed and and that's in that they're they're trying to be too much parkour uh the whole like we're only going to invite parkour teams again it's 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 seeping into it's it's seeping into parkour and it's and it's uh following a path that is going to do more or less what i'm afraid of particularly as the word parkour gets more like associated with it whereas like if they actually if they actually do what ultimate tag does which is bring in more regular people and be like and then here's the parkour guy and he freaking murdered everybody um then you know i i i actually i i think that would be better for parkour um particularly particularly because um you could still be a parkour athlete that doesn't practice tag, but um, I don't know. Like we got a kid in the gym right now that like wants to be a pro tagger Holden. Yeah. Like he wants to be, and he's telling me like these moves he's coming up with and stuff. I just don't, it's, it's like, okay, you got gold, like great for you, but like, I can't really help with that. That's not what I do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like sit around with you and geek out on. And, and some people in parkour might freaking love that. You know, that's, that's fine for them. Um, it's just that all the things that we point to, particularly right now in parkour that we get excited about, like videos that come out, um, moves that athletes do have nothing to do with tag. And I, I can't, I don't know anyone who's actually like posted a tag video in parkour and been like, look at this move he did. Look at this evasion. It's like, you see posts like that and no one gives a shit. It's just, it's except for, except for people on the internet that don't do parkour. They, they care. There, there's been some cool tags. I've seen some like... Yeah. Maybe on the other side of this, because like, you know, we, we talked earlier about martial arts, right? So mm -hmm. like, I was really influenced by, you know, MMA and by uh, by Matt Thornton's idea of aliveness in, in in martial arts, right? So in martial arts, it's like, well, you have techniques and you practice techniques, and then the expression of the techniques is whether you can actually fight. But in order to fight, you have to fight. Right? You have to train in a way that in, that that in some way simulates fighting. And so, in 2010, 2009, I think, um, uh, it was after Teg's rage flubering, right? Or maybe it was around the same time. I was like, well, look, if we're, if we're training to reach or escape, you need to, sometimes when you're reaching or escaping, there's nobody else involved, right? Like, if you just need to get out of a burning building, you just get out of the burning building. But sometimes you're chasing down a mugger. Sometimes you're, you're being chased. Like, these are the type of situations that theoretically we're training for. Um, and being able to get around somebody and i've always been interested in self-defense as well so like i'm interested in how does somebody juke and get around and invade and escape somebody all that's super fascinating to me like i went through a period recently where i i, got, I was just bored watching any parkour video but i would go watch world chase tag videos over and over again to look at the like the timing of how someone recognizes where someone's going to move on the course how they dodge like 
like people you could just see people making the same mistakes over and over again like there's a there's a closed and an open side right everyone stands in one corner and there's one side that, that has bars you have to go through and one side that's open right so if you're going to run down this open side you need to initiate your run relatively early because it's very early for that very easy for the athlete who's coming across to do that and you see like really good athletes just make this mistake and i was like oh this is fascinating because there's an actual game right it's it's fascinating the way that martial arts is fascinating to me so i'm super super engaged but the one thing that i that i think the one thing that i don't like about it is that is that parkour is about adaption to the environment and this is an environment that's unchanging it's going to be the same every time so I think it has to have a combination of what you guys are doing, which is creating unique, totally specific spaces. Um, but I, I would love to see there be a, a, that, that within the parkour competition world, there is a reach or escape element where you have to try to deal with other players. Because for me, that's like, <clears throat> it's like having par, uh, martial arts competitions where you never actually hit somebody if you don't have, uh, if you don't have a, a chase and evade. Uh, element yeah i mean I, I see it like um like there's room for both competition formats yeah. you know um i don't i don't you know we'll probably never do a tag event at um you know in sport parkour league but um but i don't think that's what we're necessarily what we're good at or what we're interested yeah. in pushing so um but i think you know there's room for world chase tag to exist and 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 develop and um and you know, there's going to be certain athletes that are that are interested in joining it, and there's certain athletes that are definitely not interested in it. Uh, I, the, the funny thing, well, you kind of brought up is like, um, you know, like non-parkour. We need not non-parkour people to go and do this, you know, world chase tag. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody wants to. I think it's mostly parkour people who are excited about it. Um, so, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like I kind of putting their skills to the test. Yeah, this, this is all like. Like saying non-martial artists should should try MMA, right? It's like I mean, sure, but they're not going to do very well. Well, the thing the thing about like, and you're talking about like reach escape and stuff, and I, I kind of wanted to talk sure. about that a bit because uh, yeah, like, I mean, I convinced myself for years that I was training reach escape, or actually not really. I think I started to think a bit more critically about it or pretty early, but you know, it was always kind of part of it. But some of the stuff that I did early on in parkour. Um, like some of the qualities I train. We'll talk about like the precision jump. Freaking love precision jumps. It's like yeah. the greatest freaking thing you can do <laughs> with your like with your body. Like freaking just like jump through the air. I'm just like I'm just gonna catch onto this thing with my feet and then like stay there like perfectly. Um, not not just make the distance, but just like, pff, I'm on there, right? Um, and you'll you'll never see that in chase tag, but you'll never see that in like a reach escape scenario. Almost. I mean. I don't know, maybe I'm, you know, some authorities are chasing me on top of a roof and there's an I-beam and I got to jump to and it's just like, stuck. <laughs> you guys can't get over here <laughs> on this freaking, freaking I-beam. Um, but like, that's like the one scenario, you know, or that sort of um, thing. I don't know, the, 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 actually the development of precision jumps in, in general is kind of a crazy thing to think about because I don't know if what it is now, which is just like what I'm, you know, describing is, is um, completing the challenge was the initial intent when um the founders were practicing it like if it was just if their intent was more um getting really good at just judging distance and everything and they weren't so much on like the the clean stick but now it's like there's 
there's a very like specific position that you're after and everything with, yeah. with sticking a jump that is that is um, becoming more and more popular, particularly like in places like the UK, it always seems is there. I mean, the, they'll make fun of other <laughs> countries and places for like their stick technique, you know? So um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's, it's very hard for me to get sold on like anything kind of if we're bringing in the argument of like reaching and escaping because it's, it's never what I was really doing with parkour and it's definitely not what I'm doing. I'm doing now. And even, even on the, if we're talking about like traditional parkour, like point, point A to point B or something that is like, I'll get really into a challenge. That's another thing I'll get really into is like any sort of like line or challenge where it's like, Holy shit this is this was the most efficient way to do this like there's there's this i got to actually use a kong in a scenario where it's like this this will be the fastest way but i had to rehearse it a bunch you know it's, it's not going to be my reaction i think you were talking about your um experience playing playing tag competitively and and like you just reverted to like dash vaults or whatever it is i think that's what you told me it's like just yeah. just and maybe that wasn't even the fastest way but it was like the most reactive thing that you ended up doing was just like dash vault <laughs> everything um yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was interesting. Like I, w I had the opportunity to like kind of practice on the field and I had come up with all these different striding lines that I was going to use to evade. Mm -hmm. And then when it came down to it, all I did was run speed vault and dash vault. And so it was just <laughs> like, Oh, I, I didn't use any of the pre-planned motions that I had in planned in my head. And I just, and when somebody's chasing you, you just started reacting. So it was kind of interesting to see how, where my, level of training descended to um when when i was put under the fire in a sense um so here's an interesting question how many times has anyone used a speed vault or a dash vault at a sport parkour in a sport parkour course speed vault like speed vault happens um dash vault does too but i feel like when people do it it's not doesn't help it's like they, they get exposed for using yeah. it <laughs> like i'm gonna do a dashboard here this is gonna be the fastest thing ever and then the, you know you just watch the playback or whatever someone else running and you're like that didn't that didn't yeah. work out <laughs> i would say speed speed vault is definitely used and definitely is is has been shown to be faster and than other movements in certain scenarios there's um, also a moment that should be fresh in my mind too because it was last year's competition the first course where um which we're gonna have actually up on uh sport parkour youtube in a couple months um re-edited but there there was that first part of the course where they they ascend up onto the mezzanine they run off and then they have to get over a railing to mm. then do like the high line strides and i think saw a lot of speed vault or step vault and i'm trying to it should be fresh in my mind because i'm i'm editing this <laughs> right now but um uh, i don't i don't think i saw a dash vault on that one yeah i think speed or step was, um, was preferable there may have been a hurdle or two there was a there was an interesting uh i can't remember which course it was but uh hendo versus brody and mm -hmm. um hendo used a uh, a speed vault variation mm -hmm. and brody did not and hendo hendo they were like neck and neck if you watched <laughs> did brody just jump or did he can't remember what move he used it might have been a kong or something mm -hmm. um but hendo's was like he gained additional, or he, um, yeah, he gained additional uh, that technique. Yeah, I was, I was like going back and watching, like you know, um, like where an athlete's ahead and where they fall behind uh, with the NPC stuff, and um, 
support parkour stuff. Uh, like Kong vaults, you know, often really, really slow unless there's a really good reason to use one. Yeah. Yeah, it's too much airtime. Yep. Kongs are good for getting up on top of things. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Not necessarily for clearing gaps. <laughs> I mean, I think there, are, there, there, there's places, but one thing that, that the reason that I brought up that you use them in this, uh, in the tag format is that I think that in the, um, in the gym based, uh, course format, it seems like vaults are pretty low priority as a skill relative to how they're trained in, you know, in, in the sport, right? Like, so you, when you set up a, a skill challenge, you're, there's going to be a Kong Pre, right? Or, um, of some kind. Um, but very frequently there's a better way to do it no matter how you set up the course. Right. I, th I think part of that is, is the constraints of having to build a course in a small space. And if you had larger spaces to, to clear and then a single object, all of a sudden some of these techniques that we train a lot end up being more, more valuable. But also like, you know, how you adapt when you're being chased versus how you adapt when you're, um, when you're, when you're able to pre-plan your route. It's two different things. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so there, there's aspects of what we train that are brought out by a uh, uh, a chase-based format potentially that that uh, that that we wouldn't see necessarily if we were only using a coursing-based format. Yeah, I'm I'm not actually opposed to chase um, as like uh, a training method, particularly for like getting better at speed courses. So you have someone, you know, in a, in a speed class, let's say, or like a, a coach session and they're, they're running a course and then, okay, this time, um, like Tom, I'm going to run behind, I'm going to run the course behind you, like by, you know, a second or something. And I'm going to try to tag you the whole time. So it's like, what has to happen for this drill is like, if, well, if you mess up your plan, you have to adapt, come up with like nothing, which would happen in a live scenario. Whereas if you were just, pressing by yourself you might like we said a lot of people just stop they mm -hmm. like they um you know like I've, I've heard you like shouting at the kids sometimes like to, to keep going even if they even if they mess up their um their run but but if you're being chased it all of a sudden incentivizes to to keep moving and then get those like adaptation skills and some of the um some of the best like course runners um they end up with like what we call like the scrappier run and it's likely because there are some like adaptations happening and they're able to to flow with it yeah th there's been some really interesting examples of adaptation on uh during course runs like Char charles pujad um comes to mind like he messed up last year mm -hmm. and still still managed to like get scrappy and finish the course in a really in a way that he hadn't planned and he's he like obviously messed up his his top, he, he messed up the, the, his, his ability to do his fastest time, but he still managed to get a very fast time by reacting in the moment and being able to uh, respond to the, the changes that he was experiencing. You know, it's an amazing example of adaptive stuff was uh, uh, the last NAPC that I competed at, Jesse LaFlair, um, on the little run along, there was a, a wall run, a weird wall run to a, uh, to a bar. Mm. And, 
he fell off the bar and was able to catch and swing himself around and come up on the other side and tag the ending flag. Um, and, you know, basically it was completely reactive, but it ended up actually being a very fast way of solving the problem, but, you know, it came out of a complete mistake. Um, so that's what, that's one of the reasons why I really love, like, I, I want to, my own parkour training, my own training and the way that I train people, I want to move more towards having chasing activities as central because I want people to have improvisational ability and I want people to be able to deal with the pressure of another person to be able to react and you know, to read and react is central to being a adaptive athlete in, in any type of situation. And what we do a lot of time in parkour when we set up a course is that we are, we are volitionally pre-planning the route. And we're not getting that read and react um, adaption. So, um, so that's why I'm super interested in that type of thing. I think I always lean towards like what I see parkour as like a combination of. Yeah. And I can totally understand where you're coming from because of what you've been building for the last <laughs> years and kind of like what you started doing early on. Um, but I think what uh, ultimately like made me fall in love with parkour and stay with it is, is what it feels like a combination of. And for me, that's like, it's a combination of skateboarding, rock climbing, maybe we could talk about like ski, snowboard, mountain sports. And like, it kind of falls into a lot of the, if you take all the similarities of those things, like that's what the, the culture and the sport feels like. Um, none of those have tag, but... <laughs> Um, but but again you have like you have events in uh climbing and uh, uh skiing where it's it's a course and it's and it's fastest time and um i don't know maybe like i was just talking we were just talking about uh doing speed course training and adding an element to chase or something um to to kind of force some aliveness as you like to, to say uh with it and uh i wonder if that happens in climbing or 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 any of those other sort of things. Like if, if someone who's like a speed climber ever has someone like try to chase them up there, but probably not. You know, with it. It's I mean, maybe not enough variety in that format to- Yeah, the to problem allow. I see with speed climbing personally is this, the route never changes. So like- yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. The only yeah. thing you practice is the same exact- Yeah. The same set of moves. The same set of moves. If you get it right it last time, if you don't, then- and it doesn't make sense to practice aliveness then. <laughs> but uh, if you kind of, you guys know who Dan Osman is, right? Mm -hmm. There's a video of Dan Osman and his buddy like tackling themselves off of a wall, and uh, you know, like racing up a wall and you know doing that stuff. So it's absolutely, uh, you know, there's no. I'm, I'm sure people have explored it. Um, but yeah, like traditional climbing is so slow, right? It's like, you know, it's very much like, you know, well, you just die. It's too hard, if you it's too hard to be fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hard to be fast, too hard to chase, right? Um, you have that, like, I, I was kind of speaking out of my realm here, but like in, in climbing, you do have certain routes that get completed faster mm. over time. Like I'm even thinking of like, um, like free soloing and the whole thing with free soloing is like, you can do shit faster. You can, you're not like setting your clips and stuff, you're just going. How long did it take Alex Honnold to uh, free, climb, uh, free climb El Capitan, right? It was like two hours and 47 minutes or something. And it, the first time that someone went up, it was like several days. Um, yeah. So um, I have to go at 11 here. 
so I don't know how much time we have to talk about this, but one thing I wanted to, to pick your brain about, um, uh, Renee, is your, your approach to, to training parkour athletes, right? And the, the strength training side of it, because I think that's one of the, the subject matter expertise that you've really dived much more deeply into than, than most folks. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the off-season training guide, right? Um, or Bible, I should say. <laughs> making some high claims with that um why do you think parkour athletes should be strength training to start with it's, it's a good question it's a big it's like a big <laughs> part of the theme that i often question myself sometimes because <laughs> i was the guy that um wasn't talented in parkour um starting out uh and, and still like I don't, I don't consider myself like at an elite level in any shape or form of like what um other people are doing uh and i turned to lifting weights a lot because it would give me improvements at certain things um and i i know you've had experiences yourself where you had the same thing happen where you know turning to uh strength training um and sort of like a general approach with that uh would give you some improvement and then that improvement would stop. Yeah, yeah. And so, so part of that is um, just, you know, further going into the study of like, okay, what, what does it mean to train like an elite athlete and what do they do? And, and the answers you'll find are, are varied because <laughs> you'll have people that are in the elite world that just, um, you know, you could have someone who's an elite jujitsu player and they just do jujitsu. And then you can have another elite jujitsu player who does a, a jujitsu plus a broad spectrum of like other things that they need. So it's, um, I've, I've come to terms with the idea that it's a, it's a case to case thing. And I avoided putting a lot of like published, I guess, a published framework like, a, like I put out now, I avoided putting up for a while. Um, a lot to, I guess, like my own detriment too, because I think if I had done this earlier, it probably would have been more successful. Um, and so now I'm just, I have like stuff out there for free for people to take a look at. And um, a lot of my justification around it is that I, I made something that's like a template that you can adjust for yourself, but I didn't like water it down. I didn't, I didn't make it a template where it's like, you could just do this once a day or, or, or once or once a week or, you know, twice a week. It's like, no, this is something that, you know, it's basically here's your five day a week schedule but here's the ways you can adjust it based on how you're feeling or where you feel like your strengths are. So um, it is, it is pretty loosely defined like that. And I, and I justify it basically feeling that it would, it would, it would benefit anyone. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that if anyone who is kind of taking what they're doing now for parkour, uh, that if they, they started following it, they would, they would get some, uh, some benefit um, of it assuming that they can handle it uh, so one of the disclaimers i give is like if you only train a couple of days a week this is going to seem like a lot and there's going to be a um, adaptation period <laughs> um, but it also might give someone like the kick in the ass they need to um, to actually be able to train more yeah i i wrestled with the same thing which is that like some uh, a surprising number of really, really good athletes aren't doing any sort of ancillary training or very limited or very stupid ancillary training. They're like, 
really all you do is static stretch. I'm not really sure that that's <laughs> very responsible for your, for your, your excellence. Um, and over the years, I've come to think that, that parkour is a pretty powerful athletic development system on its own. Um, but it's basically like if you get the gains from doing parkour, then just do it, right? Right. Yeah. But some people aren't, right? We're going to run into to plateaus. And I think my basic theory on it is that um, whenever you're focused on technical development, you're not going to be able to precisely dose your physiological demand as easily, right? So if you can create physiological headroom between you and your technical limits, then you can train at your technical limits and, and be less likely to get injured, less likely to over, you know, overstress yourself, right? So that like if you're, if you're a 16 year old, naturally athletic male, right? Who's into parkour, like it's a good chance that you can just do it because you, you've got the kind of buffer to, to like exceed your demands or not get to your demands or whatever. And your body's going to respond really positively because of the hormonal environment. But if you're like a 38 year old um, guy with three kids and a full-time job, uh, <laughs> like it's a lot easier to accumulate some overuse injuries um, by just utilizing your primary sport as your, um, as your, as your conditioning system. And so I think about it as a way of, of saying, okay, my body's going to need to be, to have this level of strength, this level of elasticity, this level of cardiorespiratory, et cetera, this level of mobility and motor control in these joints to, to, to meet the demands of what I'm going to ask for it technically. And if I can, if I can not sacrifice my training time and energy too much and get a little bit ahead of that, then I'm going to be a lot safer. That's kind of how I think about it now. And it's like, um, it's like more like a I, longevity approach for you. It's yeah. Partial is longevity, but I mean, it is also skill progression because when, when you have that physiological headroom, then you can progress faster and it's easier to get there when you're, when you're, um, but you're always balancing that demand between like how specific is the adaption you're creating versus how specific is the technical adaption you're creating. Like if you do, you know, if you're working on a, a jump, right? Almost all the jumps that we do are submaximal. And so you're getting elastic demand and you're getting all these things, but you're not necessarily hitting your maximal and your, uh, and if you want to spend the time to get the skill, then you might be, you're not necessarily targeting like a really um, like an optimal amount of, 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 uh, of inroad physiologically or an optimal sort of like which tissues you're demanding of or which, you know, are you demanding fast switch? Like if you're doing your hundredth wall run in a row, like now maybe you're, you're using your type one tissues more than you would be if you'd only done 20, but maybe, neurologically and technically you're getting some benefit out of it. Um, but that thing is still limited by the ability of those type two fibers. And if you're not doing something that's building the capacity of those type two fibers, then you're going to hit a limit there, no matter how good your technique is. And so you, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, so I actually got a question for from Tom. I'm going to let you kind of take this one. Okay. So if you um, just kind of, uh, 
if you had to define like, okay, what, what does a person need to win um, a sport park or speed channel? We'll, we'll, we'll use speed as, as like a, cause I think it's probably the one we can look at as being like the most, um, not, not the most athletic, but let's do speed anyway. <laughs> okay, so, so we're trying to prepare someone for speed. We're trying to take like a, maybe a kid or someone young for speed. Like, what do you think they would need to, to be the best? Supreme mental fortitude. <laughs> so number one, so mental, number one. But like, what, what else? So like, if, if, cause like, let's say, um, cause I think we can, we can think of some athletes that have, that have that, that maybe wouldn't win, win speed. So like, that's number one. And I would totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they need technical proficiency. They need mm -hmm. to be able to like get through the course, deal with the complexity of the environment. And then they need, they need to, they need the ability to go fast. They need yeah. to be able to like sprint very quickly. So, mm -hmm. um, I would say those are like the, the top three yeah. that come to mind. I, I think a lot of what we see, um, trying to um, aim towards so like again agreed it's like okay so what what makes one good at parkour um we're we're seeing more and more that it's like it's like the mental the technical proficiency and then you have some people where it's just like they they have those two things like the you know the the naturals if you will right and you know their body just does what they what they tell it to do <laughs> they're able to go through it uh and then i think what we also see on uh, speed courses is yeah like the need to actually um uh, have some explosiveness, um, and some actual, you know, like raw, raw speed. Um, in addition to all that, which is, yeah, some, some of what you would develop in, um, uh, a training block, um, or, and then, you know, be able to either maintain or build on outside of the block. So kind of going back to like what this, the stuff I've put out there is, is like you, I'm, I'm, uh, not, if, if you look at what I, what I have, it's, it's, it's not saying do this all year. <laughs> In fact, the blocks are like pretty short and I, and I shortened it from like my previous edition too. Um, and, and I don't think anyone in parkour is really above that if they're really trying to be like the best and currently in, in, um, the world, I'll say being the best is not a popular thing right now amongst like practitioners of things. It's like yeah. a lot of memes and stuff where it's like, you don't need to be the best. You can just do this for fun. And I, like, I'm not against that or anything, but I'm also a big fan of trying to be the best. <laughs> so, um, excellence is, is meaningful. Yeah. And because I spent, yeah, because I spent so much time, um, leaning towards the strength and conditioning approach. Um, it's why I'm able to, you know, kind of finally like publish something and put it all out there. But, um, I also spent, I don't know, maybe the last like five years or whatever, doing a lot less strength and conditioning and then kind of landing on something that I'm happy with or where I feel like, okay, this, this is the right amount and this is what I'm going to do. Um, but that was a struggle, um, was going from that, just doing a lot of strength and conditioning to, feeling like this isn't doing shit for me anymore. I really just need to actually like do more parkour to, I don't, I feel like I was hitting that jump a couple years ago and it feels really hard now. <laughs> and I want to be able, and like some of my goals need to need to be able to hit that jump. So I do need to do a little bit more of like the, the general prep again. Um, 
And for some people that can be like you were talking about not doing enough maximal effort jumps in parkour. And so for some people that might just be mean like hitting just like a field and just doing some actual maximal effort plyometrics or jumping. Um, and then, you know, whether or not you want to season that with a little bit of strength building, um, using barbell or other means, uh, that's you know entirely up to a uh, own person's decision. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to take that up. I think there's a lot more for us to tell discuss there. This is super fun, guys. We should do it again. Um, Origins Parkour, if folks want to check you out, you got, you got uh, the, the um, off-season training Bible on there. Mm-hmm. I also got sportparkourleague.com. Sportparkourleague.com. So if folks want to... Sport League on, on YouTube, or is it just Sport Parkour on YouTube? Uh, Sport Parkour League on YouTube, Sport yeah. Parkour, at Sport Parkour on Instagram. Yeah, we're really trying to build that YouTube channel for Sport Parkour right now. So, uh, and we got some exciting stuff we're releasing. So, subscribe to that. Excellent. Okay, I, I have to go. I literally have a meeting that starts right now. Um, it was really fun to uh, chat with you guys, and uh, hopefully, we'll do it again soon. Adios. Thanks for listening to the Evolve Move Play podcast. If you really like the content we're putting out, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps tremendously in getting the word out about what we're doing. And of course, you really want to support us. You can support us on Patreon. This is a listener-funded podcast. And through your funding, it allows us to have the best equipment and to attract the best guests and build our audience. So we really appreciate it if you do those things. And we look forward to talking to you next time.